Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio, or in this case, WOUB South, which is my home office. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, the Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. This is the second in a two-part series exploring how faculty at Excelsior College, based in Albany, New York, are using gamified simulations to teach course concepts. In the previous episode, you maybe heard Dr. Mary Berkery, who, is, who introduced us to game simulations about world history events surrounding World War I. In this episode, however, my guest is Dr. Anna Zendel, who is the Senior Faculty Program Director in Health Sciences and also with the School of Graduate Studies at Excelsior. Dr. Zendel has developed a series of games to help students engage health concepts in everyday situations like purchasing groceries at a local grocery store. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So we learned a little bit about Excelsior um, when uh, Mary was on the, the previous episode, but just in case some of the listeners in this episode haven't caught that one yet, do you want to kind of give us just a, a background of the type of student body that you were teaching um, in, in your courses and sort of the type of students that served by the, the college as a whole? Sure. Um, so Excelsior College is a nonprofit fully online college, and we have students in the associate's, bachelor's, and master's level. We It serves primarily um, adult, non-traditional learners. Our average age, particularly in my health sciences programs, is about 38 to 40. I have about 40% military or military family members who are taking my courses enrolled in the programs. And we have a really interesting mix of allied health, nursing, and people who are not affiliated with healthcare who are looking to break into the healthcare sector. Our students being, you know, sort of those those non-traditional learners, they tend to be working one or more jobs while they're trying to go to school. They're often parents themselves. Um, and a surprising number um, that I teach are of the sandwich generation. So they're juggling work, school, family, you know, sometimes elder caregiving and the, the many other obligations. And so ex- at Excelsior, we've designed our courses, our entire curricula pretty much to be fully asynchronous. So they, you know, they take eight week course terms and um, they, we have modules, one week modules. And so they do their week, their work within that that week. And then we move on to the next topic and and the next module. So that's sort of how we stage it to really make it workable for our students. Sure. And you've probably been teaching in this area for a while. Before you started using um, the online simulations in your course, what was a typical approach that you might use in your courses to help students learn about health concepts? Um, a lot of a lot of case studies. I am very, you know, I'm a social worker by background, and so I tend to, I think, gravitate towards the stories and towards the lived experience, which is is pretty powerful in healthcare because people are, you know, our health professionals are not just working with with you know patients. And I'm using air quotes here. They're working with people who are, you know living, working, playing in in a community setting and bringing all of that with them. So I do tend towards stories. I tend towards case studies, interviews, um, you know, bringing in people, experts, or or people who are who are living with a chronic condition, let's say. Um, or, you know, I, I have one course where I have 
of suicide survivor, you know, someone who has, who had a loved one commit suicide come in and really talk about that experience and what helped. So I do a lot of that. We do a lot of, um, you know, sort of your typical papers, your writing, although we tend to not do so much research papers, um, although there's a research component to them. But, you know, for example, the nutrition course that we, you know, that we're talking about today, they write a series, the students write a series of, of short articles about a nutritional topic. So we do a lot of that. So it sounds like you're still mixing or, or utilizing some of the uh, pedagogical approaches and assessment approaches that you've always used, but that mm-hmm. what you did through this initiative was to also integrate in some of the online um, simulation games. Is, is that a fair way of describing it? It is. It definitely is. Yes. We, we really wanted to infuse the games in a meaningful way. So the Health Science 403 class um, that I think we're focusing on right now, can you talk a little bit about um, what, you know, some of the the broad learning outcomes are of that class so that we can contextualize a little bit better the simulation that you've developed? Sure. So this course is called Nutrition for, for Health and Wellness. So and it's a it's a 400 level course, so students are really exposed to um, to the principles of nutrition science. So you know what are the micronutrients, the ma- macronutrients, you know vitamins, minerals, um, fluid intake, all of those, all of the array that goes into the principles of nutrition of the science of nutrition. Um, the building blocks really of life. And so that's a big piece of it. Then there's also the, the wellness aspect. So we are teaching our students how to take this information and apply it to prevention. So keeping people healthy, preventing that illness, any illnesses, you know, like the some of the big ones, hypertension, diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, obesity, which is now considered a chronic disease by and large. So the prevention factor. And then towards the end of the course, we have students exploring chronic diseases themselves. themselves. So, you know, and, and the ones I mentioned, um, diabetes, which is a pandemic, truly a pandemic around the world. Um, and people are getting sicker, younger, um, and much sicker. So we focus a lot on that. And we focus on hypertension, which is also you know, essentially at, you know, the, the global levels. Those are two of our main foci. So I want to dig in um, to the, um, the, the game that, that I was able to preview in preparation for the podcast. It's titled Welcome to Your Local Supermarket. And there's a couple layers I want to get into, but just to sort of set up what the simulation is, um, as I get to the, the, the landing page for the simulation, I'm confronted with a picture um, that could be your local Kroger, or your local Hy-Vee, or whichever uh, supermarket is in your hometown. And mm-hmm. you're in the produce aisle, or at least beginning to walk down the produce aisle, and you see pictures of apples and strawberries uh, and so on and so forth. So, so the premise of this is that I'm visiting my local supermarket. Um, so on a, in the setup for this, when you you get in here, you learn some information about the character that you're portraying. So it says that you're able to walk to the supermarket and you have to limit, as I recall, the number of items that you buy, both because you don't have enough money to buy more, but also you have to carry it back home. Do you want to talk about some of the considerations at that stage in the simulation that went into making those decisions about limiting it to, I think it was $25 and 
you know, something that you could reasonably carry. Why, why are those characteristics in this simulation? Okay, absolutely. And actually, you're, you're actually speaking to my passion right now <laughs> um, for why, why this particular game and why this course too. So, you know, as I said, this is a nutrition science course, essentially. And, you know, we've long been, this course has been around for over a decade. It's been very successful in teaching students what they need to know about nutrition. There was an area, though, where um, my primary faculty, Carmen Roberts and I, we kept getting stuck on with our students. And that was sort of that effective domain. You know, students would, um, some students would come into the course and they would you know, they would have these assumptions, these sort of these implicit biases that they often didn't even know that they had about about the role of poverty and the role of environment and how and the nutritional choices that many people are forced to make. So, um, so a major factor for how we designed this game was to bring that piece in. We wanted students to truly walk a mile in somebody's shoes who has been living in poverty, who's in that intergenerational sort of household milieu and who doesn't have access to a lot of those support systems. So, you know, so for this particular game, for example, um, we've set the stage. So this is, um, it's a family of four. Um, and, you know, the index person, and the student is walking a mile in this person's shoes. So we're going to say the student. The student has hypertension. Um, and then, so the student has hypertension. The the spouse, so this, and then the student spouse has type two diabetes. So you have two major chronic conditions that are very prevalent. Um, you know where there's a lack of healthful nutrition. There's a teenage son who lives with, in the household, and he often has to do the food prep because of of the. Um, you know, because the student has to work late, which is also, you know, pretty resonant of a lot of students' lives. Then there's a, an older adult, um, the mom, who has recently moved in, who's in, in rather frail health and also has relatively new dentures that they just don't fit well. And so, so the way that we sort of set this up is that they need, the person, the student needs to purchase um, for this family Four days worth of food for four people. They um, and as you as you said, they don't have transportation. There's not a car, so they need to take the bus, and that means that the food needs to be portable. Um, and then the other piece is is that they do need to do this on only twenty five dollars. So they don't have they don't have SNAP, um, you know, the Supplemental Needs Assistance Program, or as a lot of people know them, food stamps. They don't have that. And that's also very, um, it's a very common experience for people. You know, there are a lot of reasons some people won't apply because of stigma. Some people, you know, some states have more rigid regulations around um, the eligibility criteria. And, you know, increasingly in, in my work, I noticed too that, that just basic literacy was often a factor for people being able to apply for some of these resources like, like SNAP benefits. So they needed someone who could actually walk through that process with them. And if they didn't have it, they didn't get the benefits. So, and we also make the point in the course of saying, and no, this person doesn't have a credit card to, to overdraw on. So this is what they have. So the challenge for this game really is that they need to go into this grocery store 
with their bags in hand, the bags that they'll carry out, and they need to buy food that meets eight criteria. It needs to be portable, affordable, easy to prepare for the son when he needs to. It needs to be filling so the people aren't going hungry. It needs to be low sodium, low sugar, easy to chew for grandma. And then ideally, you know, because food is such a part of of our of the social fabric, you know, of of our society, we want it to taste good too. So we want that satiety piece. So an example, um, as you as you work through all of the uh, constraints, maybe is what I would refer to them as that that okay. you just described. So the competing uh, chronic health conditions, um, you know, the various limitations on this. So so the first choice that a student makes is that they're walking to the dairy aisle and the first decision that they have to make is to buy one of four different um, food products. So the options are Greek yogurt at $5, uh, 1% milk at $4, eggs, one dozen at $3 and sliced American cheese, one pound of that at $6. So you have to choose one of those. Now, if I'm one of your students on it and I'm making this decision, there are better answers on this, but is this designed where there is a right answer? I mean, this this could easily be a multiple choice question. There's four answers. I've been asked a question, which one would you buy? Um, is there a right answer on this or is there just better answers? Better answers. This, when you play through the whole game, and this is, this is part of the point, when you play through the whole game, it's almost like the no-win scenario. <laughs> there have been a couple of students who've, who've um, actually quoted, um, what is it, Star Trek, the Kobayashi Maru? <laughs> um, you know, they've literally cited that. Um, because when you think about all four people's needs and the need, you know, the um, $25 cap and the number of servings that they need, I'll tell you, I played through this game a lot, and I have not found the the magic answer. I mm-hmm. don't think there is one. So there are better though, and you know, a big piece of this, um, and how why we infused it into the the other curricular materials, the other curricular activities, is to let students really talk about and debrief about why. What were the sacrifices that they ended up making? Because families are making sacrifices all the time. Um, you know, and we, we sort of know that people are choosing food over rent or rent over food. But when they go to the grocery store, they're often facing these sorts of, of hard decisions as well. Yeah, I was... Um super proud of myself because on the dairy aisle, I picked the eggs, which it said was very good. Later, one of the decisions uh, I believe is in the meat aisle and I picked boneless, skinless chicken breasts, a favorite in our household and and one that I know is healthy. And I thought, well, that's an obvious one, you know, for a family with these health conditions. And then it says, remember that you're, I don't remember how old the son is, but your 15 year old son has to cook this. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and while I am a master at the boneless, skinless chicken breasts, I, I will say that that's not true of all 15 year olds. So you're right. It's interesting that as you go through this, you make what your instincts and maybe even your knowledge based upon you or your family member's health is, is right in one circumstance, but in a real family, it's not just one circumstance that you are making decisions for. It's multiple people, intergenerational um, concerns and different, different, in some cases, competing health concerns. So for example, if the, um, if the husband has, 
uh, hypertension, high fiber foods for that person might be very effective. But if yeah. the student has type two diabetes, that might also involve carbs, which would of course not be as good for them. So it's really, it's really interesting as you go through it, that they, these are seemingly simple decisions, but yet when you actually look at the complexity of the family, it's a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And students, you know, one of the things that I love about this activity, and it's a hard activity, and, you know, part of the debriefing and the discussions is that sometimes students talk about their own experiences where they couldn't afford to buy food for their little ones. And, you know, that that that's difficult. It's difficult to read and to hear. And, um, you know, I don't teach this course. Um, Car- my colleague, Carmen Roberts, who worked with me on this does, because mm-hmm. I'm not an RD. You know, I do health mm-hmm. education regularly, right. but I don't feel qualified for it. But, you know, just th- a lot of students are bringing this challenge out into the real world. And I don't think we expected that. So students are are saying, okay, so I decided I need to take this challenge for myself. So I decided to feed my family um, on $25 for four days. And they talk in the discussions about the riot that occurred in their household for doing that. <laughs> you know, and they bring that in as well. And so then that leads to this deeper discussion about you know, what's happening within the family dynamic and, you know, the shame, the deepening of stigma, the profound sadness that parents face. And, you know, so if you think about this student, you know, the, this really would, could be anybody's patient. And when they're coming into you to see you for a health condition or to see you as an RD to get nutritional support, knowing the, the pain that they and the experiences that they may be bringing in, you know, that's another reason we wanted to deepen the empathy, so they could really have those tough conversations and help help their patients to move forward in a good way. I think that issue of empathy is really important, and it's also, I think, a uniquely effective characteristic of using simulations like this. Um, listeners who have listened to um, Teaching Matters podcast you know, for a while, uh, you might recall, if you have a good memory, um, that in, in January of 2020, we did an interview with some uh, folks here at Ohio University that work on AR and VR simulations. And, and actually, when we were talking um, with Mary in the previous episode, we were talking about the differences between the types of simulations that you all are producing at Excelsior and then the headset-based simulations that you do with AR and VR. And they're they're similar in the sense that you create more of a real-world simulation. They're different in the in the way that the technology is delivering it to the students. However, a uniquely positive characteristic for all all of these simulations that I'm seeing, both from Excelsior and what we're producing, is the focus on empathy. And and I think that's really fascinating because that's hard to work into a lot of the traditional assignments that we would have done, you know, years before when we taught courses. In your opinion, Anna, why do you think that that empathy is such an important part of the learning experience for the students? Because it's almost becoming something that we're recognizing as an essential learning objective, but we've never articulated that as such. You know, that's that's a great question. And I'm going to answer it from the healthcare perspective. There are so many ways that I could answer that question. But <laughs> looking, you know, when we think about health professionals and when we think about about the state of nutrition in our country, um, you know, we know that the health literacy and poverty are just 
very real issues um, across the country and in many parts of the world. And to be able to really build a relationship with a patient, you, you must have empathy. You, you need to have sort of that understanding of where people are coming to you from. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work in communities and I learned very, very quickly that sort of a, I don't know if humble is the right word, but a very open listening to what's going on in the community, you know, putting aside any of my own assumptions, you know, because I grew up in a rural community. And just because I grew up in a rural community does not mean that I have any understanding, really, of what's happening in this rural community that I'm sitting in. And so, you know, having all of my work experiences and talking with students and with faculty, it's just become so abundantly clear that we, empathy is at the core of getting things done. Um, you know, of moving people forward in their healthcare plans, of getting um, buy into the healthcare plan. You know, a lot of people talk about about compliance with nutrition, and I sort of prefer to think of it as buy-in, because for enduring success in healthcare and in so many other things, you really need a collaborative and a partnership approach. And when you tease when you tease that out, what are the core skills that go into building that? You're looking at empathy. You're looking at effective communication. You're looking at knowing what questions to ask somebody to really know where they're coming from, and then to meet them where they're at. Yeah, if you're, that makes sense. You're you're so speaking. You know something that resonates with me. Um, you know one of the one of the adages of of coaching is that you have to your players have to know that you care before they will care and. I think the same is true. I mean, we do a lot of work here at OU. We have a osteopathic medical college that is um, just outstanding. And of course, that tradition of medical medical profession um, has built into its philosophy um, a, a deep ethic of care for the holistic patient, um, which includes, you know, having empathy for the patient and and understanding everything about them as much as is possible as part of their healthcare plan. And, and so, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing with AR and VR, the premise behind it is to help train healthcare professionals, mostly from the empathetic and communication point of view, because the fact is they can learn the science of medicine, you know, probably more effectively in other ways, but, mm -hmm. but they can't learn, they can't learn that. So, so one of the scenarios that we, we created, um, involved a doctor who was working with a patient that had missed a couple of appointments. And in the scenario, the doctor was very irritated about the fact that the patient had missed the two appointments that had been originally scheduled. Then they showed up late for the third one. Um, and, and the doctor has a very terse interaction with the patient. But then the, the simulation goes on to show that there's a backstory of why that happened, that the patient, much like in the scenario that you created, they do not have transportation. And so they're relying upon other family members to get them to the appointment and unstable vehicles, uh, you know, all those things happen that causes them to miss the appointments. But then you come to understand what's causing all that. So I totally think that you are on, on the right track with saying this is a strength of simulations to um, have that empathetic skill set being built. Um, and, and you're doing it in a way with your simulations that's very similar to what we're trying to accomplish. I think it's definitely on track. 
Yeah, wonderful. Actually, one of my one of my goals one day is to be able to do VR. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Well, I uh, we, we would love to introduce you to what we're doing um, because Definitely. I think I think the difference about the difference with with AR VR is is something that we call presence. So the way that we produce those makes it because we take sort of a, a cinema film approach to production. So it's not animations, it's, it's actual film that we're stitching together into the, the 360 environment. And so the presence that you feel when you're in those situations is, you know, uber realistic. Like you really feel like you're in the doctor's office having a conversation with the patient or the doctor, depending upon which perspective we're putting you into. Um, that's, that's one of the key things that it, it, it takes that idea of having you feel the empathy and it like pours gasoline on it. Right. <laughs> because of, mm-hmm. because of the realism of it, I want to switch gears. And you mentioned that you, um, had worked on this simulation, um, on the supermarket and, and I assume others with faculty that teach in your program. We, yes. we heard from Mary last week. She talked about the student reactions to it. I, I failed to ask her about, you know, sort of the faculty's reactions to teaching with these simulations. Have you gotten feedback from the faculty that you work with on what they like about using simulations like this? Um, absolutely. You know, we actually, Carmen Roberts, um, who, along with, with um, Jeff Fisk from Muzzy Lane, the three of us created these. And that's the, yeah, that's the, the yeah. private sector company that worked with yep. you on the actual design and, and implementation, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Carmen um, mostly teaches that course and she, so she helped to design it. So she loves it. (laughs) Um, There has been another person who has come in to teach and um, I understand that he really enjoys it too. You know, one of one of the nice things about the, the games too, is that it, the way that they're designed is they're deeply embedded into the, the canvas LMS. We use canvas at Excelsior. And so, um, so the faculty can enjoy the game and enjoy the process of doing the game and supporting the students through all of the ancillary, you know, sort of the complementary activities. Um, and there's, you know, we didn't want it to be a workload for them and we didn't want it to be a stressor for them. And so I think, you know, they have, they really value the game for what it is adding to the student experience and the student outcomes. And they really appreciate the the fact that, you know, they really don't have to do anything with it. Right. What, what did um, Carmen, was she sort of serving as the content expert when you worked with Muzzy Lane to create this? Yes. Yeah, she, she was. So she did hours and hours and days and days of programming behind the scenes. So, you know, the the game that we just talked about, and there are two of the games in the course, she, every single serving item, she went and she found all of the nutritional values and programmed them into the background. Mm -hmm. So a lot of work. Have you given thought um, to how often you think you will need to refresh these? So the context that, that I asked that for is, is at the time that we're recording this, um, one of the big news stories is about inflation and food prices and things like that. And at some point, you know, there will be, there will start to be slippage of the realism of the simulation, um, which might be easily programmed in, but underlying things like, you know, what food is better for somebody on a diabetic diet or a hypertension diet won't change a, a great deal. But have you given thought to how often you might need to refresh these simulations for the course? 
Yes, we have. Um, and that's part of why we chose the tool that we did. Because um, the way that the programming on the back end is, um, the beauty of it is that people, you know, sort of like me, who don't have a lot of, of programming knowledge, can go into the back end and just swap out the prices. Um, so for the price point pieces, that part would be easy to do. Um, the swapping out the the items, um, the actual food items, that will be tougher. Um, mm -hmm. We chose food items that we thought would be pretty enduring, and um, but eventually we will have to go through and swap them out. I'm thinking probably yeah within a year or two. Yeah, yeah. It 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 does make sense that you want to try to create simulations that has some evergreen element to it, but that the realism would be such that you would want to change that. Have you, um, have you had a chance to think about how, what you've learned from, um, integrating this into the nutrition course? Have you started to think about other courses where you're not yet doing this, but that you think this would be a really effective pedagogical strategy? Yes, actually, Carmen and I were just talking, um, recently, um, in the School of Graduate Studies, we're bringing up, we're developing a graduate nutrition certificate to help prepare students who might want to go for for a registered dietitian, um, you know, to sit for the exam um, or move forward in a, in a nutrition education career. And we keep coming back to the games that we created for this course and, you know, thinking about how can we bring something like this into the the graduate curriculum and infuse it strategically throughout you know so have um we have a course that we're developing right now on um nutrition across the lifespan so having something that really looks at you know this this small game right here gets a good start at looking at intergenerational you know because we have the teenager and then we have the the you know older female but there are also, you know, the young children and then, you know, the truly frail elderly, you know, kind of in their 90s sort of thing. So and then, you know, the, um, you know, women of childbearing age. Um, so looking at that sort of thing and maybe doing something to, um, you know, some sort of a branching decision tree game around education as well. So, um, you know, that really targets how do people best learn? How do you choose which types of learning for, for somebody that will really resonate with, with them? Um, and what do you need to know about the person? What do you need to ask? Um, you know, we, we're focusing on motivational interviewing in, in this, particular, um, this particular graduate certificate. So I'm hoping that they would learn that first and then, you know, kind of go into some sort of a game. Yeah. When you were describing that, of course, in, in my discipline of communication, there's a, there's a, a chunk of scholars and teachers who, who focus on health communication. And as part of that, obviously health, health campaign messages, yeah. both at the macro level, you know, so societal level, but then also in much more specific situations, like how doctors communicate health messages to patients to um, make compliance with health directives more likely. Um, those are all topics of interest. And, and, you know, one of the things that we're all confronting right now is that 
there are so many medical experts on the internet <laughs> on oh, Facebook yeah. and, and, you know, and that's a real thing. So, I mean, we, we see that every day in the news about the pandemic. And so it's a real thing. And so, you know, how people learn and consume health information um, with a critical eye to understand, you know, that there's an access component that we have more access to it than ever before. But then along with that comes a responsibility for um, understanding quality of information. And that's a, that's something that's going to be, you know, people that you're training in that graduate certificate, that's an issue that they have to understand because unfortunately the internet has, has obliterated a lot of people's understandings of qualitative differences and types of information. That is so true. You know, we, in one of the early courses, we're focusing pretty deeply on the fad diets that mm -hmm, are out there mm -hmm. and on social influencers, you know, social media influencers. Yeah. And especially, you know, we have such a concern for for the young, you know, for our youth who are getting their their body image from social media, from TikTok, mm -hmm. you know, from Instagram. And it's not always good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess in closing, um, you know, I, obviously I have a, a ton of respect for the, the work that you all are doing. And, and what I think is so great about it is that a lot of times when I've, I've learned about different simulation initiatives at various universities, one of the things that I, I observe is that the simulations take so much effort when they create them that it's sort of like the simulation takes over a course and, you know, becomes yeah. the thing that is the entire focus of the faculty member, the students. I mean, that's all that they do because of course, if you spend that much effort and, and in, in many cases, the financial resources to create it, you want to milk it for everything possible. And so it sort of takes over. Um, and, and then a flip side of that is, is simulations that are created um, that are so general that it's really hard to get enough meat into them to have good discussions. I really think that in the, in the examples that I've seen from both what you've shown me and also what Mary showed me in the previous episode, you're really striking a balance between something that is, is scalable, um, that is efficient in terms of time and resources, but yet has enough uh, detail built into it that a faculty member can have a pretty rich discussion um, about what the students are experiencing as they go through that. So I, I just uh, give you a lot of kudos for, you know, getting into a sweet spot for this that is doable, but yet also still really impactful. Thanks. You know, that was really our goal. Um, we wanted it, both Mary and I felt so strongly about, you know, truly not just integrating, but infusing. So that it became a part of, and I know I use this word a lot, probably the social worker in me, a part <laughs> of the fabric of the course. Um, and I think, you know, I love Mary's course too. Um, you know, I think we, we both managed to do that. With a lot of support too. I mean, it, de yeah. it definitely wasn't just us. Our 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 technical, our LMS team, um, you know, and and a lot of other people. They they just it was a community effort at Excelsior, and so proud of that too. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. And, and again, it's been wonderful to get to uh, meet both you and Mary and hear about the great work that you're doing at Excelsior. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun to talk about. Good. Yeah. Well, and, and as I told her, if you ever want to come back and talk about um, new things that you're developing or as you start to collect more data on how these simulations are working with your students and, and with your faculty, of course, we'd always love to have you come back. 
Wonderful. Thank you. We'd love to. You bet. So my guest today was Dr. Anna Zendel, who's the Senior Faculty Program Director in Health Sciences and also with the School of Graduate Studies at Excelsior College in Albany, New York. We've learned about how she and other faculty at Excelsior are using simulations with their students to learn about course concepts and everyday experiences. We want to thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. If you ever want to reach out with ideas or to ask questions, simply look for us on Facebook, uh, looking for Teaching Matters Podcast, and you can reach out with a direct message or find my email address and, and get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth, your host. Have a great day.